The Secrets of Star Wars is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. Hi, this is Vanessa Marshall. I play Harrison Dula on Star Wars Rebels, and you're listening to the Secrets of Star Wars podcast. May the Force be with you always. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Wars, Episode 147. Hello there. It's a power that Jedi have that lets them control people and make things float. Impressive. Every word in that sense was wrong. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I find your lack of faith disturbing. It's against my programming to impersonate a deity. That's not how the Force works. Force is with me, and I am with the Force, and I fear nothing. Remember... The Force will be with you, always. Hi, I'm Robert King, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Wars, where we talk about everything connected to that galaxy far, far away. From movies to books to TV shows and more, we're looking at the deeper themes and meanings found in Star Wars. Today, we're discussing The Bad Batch, Episode 6 of Season 2. Joining me today on the panel are John Coral. Hello. And Ryan Nafziger. Glad to be back. Welcome to both of you. So today we're talking about the episode called Tribe. Uh, in this episode, the Bad Batch rescue the Wookiee Jedi Gunji from being sold into slavery and return him to his homeworld of Kashyyyk, which is having some trouble of its own. There's a lot going on in this episode, so why don't we just take it step by step, step by step. So we don't miss anything. Um, I, I thought it was amazing how we got right into the episode coming up on this really cool looking station that is apparently owned by the Vanguard Axis. Um, are, are either of you guys familiar with the Vanguard Axis? I hadn't heard of it before this episode. Yeah, yeah I neither had I. <laughs> so, but, you know, the Star Wars universe is just littered with these uh, sort of smuggling organizations and organized crime. And so I, I'm assuming they are one of these. And um, and it just struck me, like, right from the beginning, there's this kind of sense that the Bad Batch is kind of dealing with people who are not the most morally upright. Uh, I, I was wondering, you know, We've been setting the Bad Batch up as as kind of heroic people, as people who stand up for what they believe, even when things aren't going the way they're supposed to. And and here they are forging materials and giving them to smugglers or trading them with smugglers and such. Are they compromising their principles? What's what's going on here? What do you think? I was kind of thinking about that <clears throat> on the last episode I was on, which was the one where Sid goes to the racing planet and uh, she kind of yeah. meets up with the 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 rival uh, sort of crime ringleader. And I, I think it's interesting that the Batch has kind of turned a blind eye to all the jobs that they're doing. They certainly have some good ones that they're doing, but they've probably under the scene, you know, under the, behind the scenes had to do some either, you know, the boring ones like smuggling whatever, how many cartons of 
Nerf Nuggets or something yeah. like that, or selling the Nerf Nuggets to now this, where it's actually really morally dubious, um, assuming that Nerf Nuggets aren't something evil. Um, that yeah. may be a big assumption. Who knows? This is Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the one thing that was, I mean, obviously smuggling and they're giving giving them those codes. But the thing that I was also wondering, though, too, is we never do find out. Are they just doing it for a payment or is it a trade of something else and stuff, too, that, you know, it's like that's the other thing that I'm assuming it was just going to be a payment. But you never got to that point of here's what we're giving you in exchange for these codes. Yeah, it wasn't entirely clear, was it? Right. Yeah. No, and yeah. and you're right. One of One of my. I think one of my frustrations with this season so far has been that like the end of season one left me wanting to see the, you know, this kind of character arc of the Bad Batch and Crosshair interacting more. Mm. And we've been getting sort of a series of mostly self-contained episodes. Mm. But uh, but I think, Ryan, you're right. There is kind of this pattern of Sid is asking them to do more and more morally gray stuff. And... um and they're having to decide how they're going to how they're going to deal with that. Um, and yeah, it's interesting that Omega, like, <laughs> she's told, "Stay here, keep watch. I'm going to get the ship ready." And then immediately she runs off. <laughs> Classic. Yeah, um, and and discovers these uh, droids that are torturing this young Wookiee. Um, I I almost wanted to, like, it, it would totally not have fit the tone of the scene, but I, I really wanted to say, I suggest a new strategy. Let the Wookiee win, because, you know, <laughs> droids don't pull people's arms of theirs, out of their sockets, but <laughs> Wookiees do. That would be <laughs> but, funny. <laughs> might not have fit the tone of the scene. <laughs> but Omega, Omega is the one who's, like, like, Sorry, I kind of rabbit trailed myself there, didn't I? Um, <laughs> Omega is the one who's kind of standing up for, you know, it doesn't matter what we're being asked to do. We've got to do what's right, what's good. And mm-hmm. um, Yeah, she and Echo kind of have been doing that a lot on this seri- in this uh, season. Echo kind of started with the whole, well, we should be doing more. There's a whole bunch of people out there that are that are getting hurt and they need our help and we can help them. And then Omega's always been like that. So yeah, I think it was yeah. interesting to have. Uh, I believe it was Echo and Omega who were both behind. Um, and I think that there might be something a little bit deeper to the fact that they decided to stay back with the ship while the rest of the batch went and cut the deal. Because n- we knew going into it, the batch told the batch was saying amongst themselves, you know, these guys are sm- like they're they're known slave traders or something like right, that. Like right. they're definitely known for doing bad things. And I think it's it might just be a coincidence that it was Omega and Echo behind, but I don't think it is because of how things have been brewing with this season, where you already have the two of them starting to really take a very principled moral stance on what they should be doing with the skills and powers that they have. I'm, you know, as as we're talking, I'm getting more and more excited to see whether and how that that kind of theme gets developed over the course of the season. Um, yeah, that would be fascinating. 
I, I loved how starkly it was put um, when when Hunter and Tech and, and Wrecker finally join the the fight. Um, you get uh, Hunter speaking for the group. You can't. Uh, what is it he says exactly? It's like you you can't sell living beings. And the droid replies, for the right price, I can do whatever I want. And and talk about, you know, this this stark um, contrast of moral principles. Um, and yet, yeah, Hunter did seem to leave, like, the ones who might object morally behind so that they could cut the deal and... and... Well, I mean... The thing, uh, yeah, I mean, it was for the right price. And then the droid said, stand down or be destroyed. And it was great seeing Hunter and the group, you know, just automatically standing up. They didn't, it's like, what are we doing? You know, even though Echo and Omega are the, you know, are kind of leading the charge of the principles or the principle, you know, of, you know, protecting and doing more, you know, the rest of the team is right there behind them. So that was what I enjoyed seeing too, though, it wasn't just, you know, okay, well, we just got to get out of here, leave the Wookiee, we're going, <laughs> you know, it was here, we got to help you out. And um, so it's like, they are on the same page, even though Omega and Echo might be a little further ahead on the, you know, what doing what's right for the principles. Yeah, they definitely stick together. Something, something that hasn't come out a lot in the, like the movies, uh, but comes out more in the TV shows is this kind of undercurrent of, of slave trade in the star mm-hmm. Wars universe. And like the two, the two species that I, that I often see being traded as slaves. Um, oh, now I'm blanking on the, the name of the other one um, with the, the head tails. Um, uh, Twi'leks. The Twi'leks. Thank you. <laughs> Um, but the Twi'leks and the Wookiees, uh, and, and it's interesting to see that, you know, kind of continuing as a, you know, the Wookiees are treated as, as not, not worth considering people. And I wonder, and, and it's interesting that they're being treated that way by droids who, (laughs) who also are, are kind of not acknowledged as a slave population or an enslaved population, but are, you know, both of these, the Wookiees and the droids we saw like in, in the solo movie and, and then, you know, Wookiees and Twi'leks in other media, they talk about it and, and kind of ignore the droids, you know, are droids people, do they have rights? Mm-hmm. Uh, Star Wars doesn't always like to talk about that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, the the question I had when I was watching it, and then even watching it the second time, you know, you when you see Gunji get the his lightsaber because I guess that's what he was looking for back in the chest, and you know, when he was frantic, mm-hmm. you know, and then I you think see, so, yeah. I think the droid, I think was has it like on a holster or something, you know, or something, and then that's how he gets it, right? If I can remember. Mm-hmm. And my question I was wondering is when he says this is he being sold as a slave or is he being sold as a, you know, a found Jedi? And I was kind of curious, you know, they never said that because obviously, you know, the first thought is, you know, they're doing it because Wookiees are enslaved typically and stuff. 
But I was just wondering is is the money for that, you know, is he holding on to the lightsaber and they're just going to sell him as a slave or is he doing that and he's going to be returned to the empire or something as a, you know, I don't know if there's, you know, and then get questioned like, Hey, do you know where your other Jedi friends are? You know, that kind of stuff. But so Mm -hmm. I just didn't know. That's what I was wondering. And they didn't, that, you know, there wasn't any more detail into, you know, what the, the reason for his capture was or who he was going to. And, yeah, definitely could have gone either way because, like, we know the droid knows the droid probably knows what the lightsaber is. Otherwise, they would have just thrown it out because it's you know a piece of metal and wood. Mm-hmm. Unless you know what a lightsaber is, uh, but also like Jedi aren't usually sold; they're usually just like taken over by the Empire. I don't know if the Empire would be so. Mm-hmm. They'd probably be willing to pay money to, you know, this random group of high-functioning droids. But it if the, if it seemed to me that if the Empire got word of it, they'd probably just go in and wreck the place and take the Jedi anyways. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't know. Um, yeah, they did say the buyer wanted him alive. Right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Which made me think, well, is he going to... Uh, is he going back to the, what is it, the Fortress Inquisitorius or whatever it's called that we see in Kenobi, where they uh, do all the tests on the Jedi and have a bunch of Jedi underneath on Amber and all that sort of stuff? Maybe, maybe. Lots to speculate about. Uh, I, I, but yeah, you're you're right, John. It's, it's not entirely clear. Yeah, so, I mean, that was, I guess, a little bit of my frustration. And the first part with the droids is I liked all the action and seeing them all get together. And then the surprise that Gunji was a Jedi and not just a typical Wookiee. Mm-hmm. But then at the same time, it was like, well, what were they there for in the first place? You know, on their pay, you know, who was he being sold to? Who, you know, it was just like, get off the ship and get them home, you know? And then, so I don't know. But I mean, overall, I liked the episode, but it was just, that was a little frustration. It's like, okay, you know, is something going to be filled in later on or was just, you know, a standalone episode and, but, and that's it. I don't know. I'm not sure. I did like Gunji is, is the, uh, the Wookiee Padawan that we saw back in the clone wars, right? Yes. Yeah. That's what I thought. And, and, uh, uh, so it, it was nice to see Gunji come back and, and to see, ah, apparently survived order 66 somehow. Um, I liked, again, I think it was Hunter who said, you know, don't know how you did it, but that's impressive. <laughs> yeah, I think it was Hunter who said that on their ship. Yeah. After after dispatching a bunch of droids and, and uh, blasting their way off the station, they, they head back for Kashyyyk because that's where Gunji is trying to get. And apparently they aren't in any hurry to get back to Sid. So... <laughs> Just arriving on Kashyyyk, um, I, I thought they did a, a really beautiful job of envisioning the planet. I mean, they, they just, it was so lush and every frame was just full of of interesting life. And, and I mean, it's clear that Kashyyyk has been kind of one of the favorite planets of the Star Wars franchise, even though we don't visit it all that often. It's like we're like always going twice. to Tatooine. Yeah. We've seen Kashyyyk yeah. twice. One in episode three and then now, I think. 
when it comes yeah. to screen time. Oh, let's not forget the holiday special. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yes. I, I think everyone heard you rolling your eyes there, Ryan. Yes, um. <laughs> as an audible eye roll. Um, one uh, thing I so, loved about the way they portrayed Kashyyyk was that that like alpine horn that they kept having in the backgrounds whenever they do things on the planet like they're oh, yeah. flying in and they have that horn blare and then the horn it reminded me of and this is like a this is a bit of a tangent but it remind the first thing it reminded me of was in the movie arrival where they're just panning up to the wall of mist where the aliens are behind you know there's mm. there's these space aliens that have come to earth and they don't know anything about them and there's just this massive horn behind there that's really spooky and creepy and it kind of gave me a similar feel when they were on Kashyyyk where it's where it's like, you know, the planet's the planet's beautiful. It's it's huge, but it's also very wild and very large. And you just see you see everyone on the planet as being very small compared to these big trees in the planet, which I thought mm-hmm. was a really cool way of showing that with the with the music. I loved everything about it. John, did anything jump out at you about about the world itself, about Kashyyyk? Uh, no, just, it just, I mean, it was a beautiful setup. I mean, they did a nice job with that. I liked how when they were walking in and then you could see them walking down the big slope or whatever it was. And it was just, I mean, the way they animated it and stuff was really nice. But, but like Ryan was saying, it's the whole, you know, later on when you, you get to meet the, the Kinris or whatever the name of the spiders were. Yes. Um, yes. When you see how big they are and then, you know, it's, and then later on, the whatever the, I don't know what creatures the Wookiees ride are called. I, I don't know, but I up. want one. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> you know, so it's like, I mean, yeah, that was, you know, just seeing how big all those things were. And, um, but the other, I guess the thing was interesting was I liked how, you know, they, they brought up how Gunji doesn't know, really didn't know what Kashyyyk was like because being a Padawan, I guess he was taken young, so it was only in his dreams or something that he had images of, you know, uh, of what this, you know, uh, planet looked like. So that was kind of interesting to think about. But yeah, that 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 reminded me of of Anakin and mm-hmm. his dreams of his mother and and so on and um, kind of this, yeah, this sense of. Probably all of the the Jedi younglings have this longing for home that um, that they have to manage in some way, whether healthily or or unhealthily. Uh, mm-hmm. I just looked it up. the The creatures they're riding on are called um, my Mylaya steeds, um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, they're they looked like I don't know giant lion slash monkeys to me <laughs> mm-hmm. like, like just a, a a wild combination of of creatures and, and i loved it um mm-hmm. ears reminded me of fox ears like ah. fox ears you know the the big yes, yes. ones yeah i'm a big rebels fan um that's no secret and and i loved the the spider creatures in rebels and i i particularly loved that these spider creatures 
kind of behave the same way. They're only aggressive if you are aggressive toward them. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I loved how uh, Gunji sort of pushed forward, you know, from the Bad Batch and and used the Force to reach out to them and and kind of connect with them. And I loved how, yeah, this, I don't know, this is a theme that's, that's really interesting to me, uh, like in Rebels with Ezra and, um, in the recent Tales of the Jedi with Ahsoka. Um, there's this theme of one of the key force sensitivity markers is this ability to connect with or commune with animals. Yeah, I'm know. glad you mentioned Ezra there because that's what I was going to say. I was like, man, Gunji's looking like Ezra Bridgert out there. Um, <laughs> well, and, and and very, very much looking like, I mean, get, getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. I mean, well, not too much because almost the next thing that happens is they come up, up upon the Trandoshans who are driving forward um, another captured Wookiee and are burning down some kind of ceremonial carved stones. Mm-hmm. And Gunji steps into action again, and you realize, or at least I realize, um, the way Gunji fights is like a Jedi, is not like the other Wookiees mm-hmm. fight. And I, I thought that was that was kind of a cool character. Um, you know, the the way the animators really made the uh, the fighting styles distinct and. And yeah, Gunji looked like Ezra, looked like Anakin, looked like, you know, any of these uh, Jedi that we've seen take this, you know, broad active stance and and then just go into battle. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, he didn't look like a, what's his name from uh, the book of Boba Fett? He didn't fight like a Chrysostas or whatever his name was. Yeah, yeah. With those big punches and stuff. Yeah, yeah. That was cool, yeah. I thought it was yeah. the more I thought about that scene, uh Gunji probably never didn't even know what those stones were. Which I thought was really interesting. Mm-hmm. But all he saw in them was pictures of Wookiees, and that was enough to set him off and go at it. Yeah. Um because presumably if he doesn't know if he's never been to Kashyyyk, he doesn't know what village he's from. I don't think he knows anything about he didn't know what they were doing with the trees later on in the episode. He didn't know anything. So I thought it was really cool that, I mean, he, he, he just saw it as this is part of me. I don't know what this is, but I'm going to defend it anyways, which is really, really cool. And he also saw the, the other Wookiee there though, and the hostage mm-hmm. <laughs> and how he was treated because you could see the pain in that Wookiee once they started setting those stones on fire that it was really, I mean, obviously it was sacred and important and it was painful for that him too as well. But so probably my guess is that um, Gunji saw that as well and then was able to connect just some of that importance. And I did enjoy the way he fought because, <laughs> you know, it, it is nice seeing a Jedi fight in these shows because you don't see many Jedi. And to see that, you know, the, the way that he uses this lightsaber or, as a hunter would say, the laser sword or, <laughs> you know, and stuff. But um, that was impressive. And I mean, I like, you know, yeah, definitely like that difference for the typical uh, Wookiee way of, of fighting. But 
there's a lot going on in this episode. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, like just, you know, we talk about the density of the, of the imagery around Kashyyyk itself. And, and I think like there are lots of layers of what's going on with the characters. And like, I'm, I'm not terribly familiar with the Trandoshans. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and their history and their connection with the empire. But, there seems to be something significant going on there. I, I, well, can I go back real quick? Um, yeah. One thing you're saying, there's different layers. There were some things too that like, if you just, even though it was just like a glance, like after Gunji used the force with the spiders and you can just, and even throughout, you'll see Omega. She'll just pause for a moment. And you can tell the wheels are turning in her head. Like this is something, you know, and it's like, you know, is it, you know, she's figuring out, you know, there's something more with this force or or at least beginning maybe to question what is this? Or you wonder, does she have a connection? You know, it's like at that point, mm-hmm. too, you know, is she feeling something like when he's doing that stuff? So it was like, so what I thought they did a good job was, is every now and then they would like focus on her just for a moment. And you could tell she was thinking about something. And and typically it was when Gunji did something like with the force, you know, and stuff. So I thought, I, so that's kind of intriguing for me as well on that. And, and then I was wondering, like you were talking about the trend oceans. I'm wondering how that works with, you know, it's like eventually we see there's some, you know, stormtroopers or, you know, some Imperial presence there as well as the trend oceans. And I was kind of curious, like, is there, I mean, Echo, I think, mentioned about potential outposts there, but are we talking like lots of outposts with Imperials, or are we just talking a small amount of them <laughs> and a bunch of Trandoshans that are in charge of this area? And I wasn't, you know, <laughs> you know, they mentioned later on that the Trandoshans, you know, have a, you know, kind of doing the dirty work for the Empire when it comes to uh, the planet, but I didn't, <laughs> I just didn't know the extent of of that. No, you're you're right it's it's um it's one of those things that this episode kind of left a little unclear because and and i know i i'm kind of a fan of it because because it's like it it's one of those details that you know just enough about yeah. that it <laughs> implies that there's a lot more going on in the universe than we know about but it doesn't like affect the story that's going on right here. It's like, okay, we still know Trandoshans are here doing bad stuff. Gunji steps in. And then, like you said, Omega right next to him. Seemed like every time Gunji did something, it was Omega like stepping in and, and you know, the number of times you saw the two of them like side by side or back to back or Hmm. something that, that was really, whether it's the force or something else, they, I think they clearly had a connection of some kind. Mm-hmm. I mean, the connection comes to mind immediately is when Hunter says at the very end something about they, they don't get to be kids. That yeah. Gunji and Omega, very, very similar lives in a way mm-hmm. where they didn't get the chance to be kids. They have to immediately start bending for themselves and making life or death decisions about them about presumably about people they love you know we don't know what happened to gunji we know he was on the run we don't know what Mm -hmm. that means um (laughs) but 
Yeah, whether it's whether it's through a force connection, and you know, I'm I'm on team Omega is secretly force sensitive or something like that. That's <laughs> I, I hope that I hope that happens for 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 real. Um, but you know, even if that doesn't end up happening, I think there's just a really there's just a really deep sense of connection there because of how much both of them have had to deal with their own lives and how similar they are. Yeah. Not only do they have to fend for themselves, but they, they end up taking care of others too. Mm -hmm. You know, Omega's saved the bad batch a number of times already. And, and Gunji is stepping in and saving, you know, the, the other, uh, the other Wookiees. Well, or at least helping to. (laughs) And I was thinking too, it's, you know, obviously, you know, as a, as a Jedi, Gunji's being hunted and, you know, and of course, and, or in the Wookiee side, he's also being looked to be sold as a slave, depending on which, but Omega, you know, she's also important and, you know, they've had bounty hunters after her. So she's been hunted as well. You know, she's not just here. I'm along with the bad batch for a ride. You know, she's, you know, probably got some bounty still on her head as because they want her for, you know, being or for cloning potentially, or, you know, we don't know what the empire wants plans to do with her, but, but she's being hunted as well. Like a Jedi is hunted, you know, to, so it's, so, I mean, there's another connection she would have with little Gunji. To, <laughs> that, yeah. You know, she knows what it's like to be chased after. And she made that point earlier too. Um, you know, her home, her, their home was destroyed by the empire as well when they saw that first village. So it's like, there's a lot of these little connections that they, you know, she has with, Gunji in, in this episode. I really like Gunji. I, I kind of, I I doubt they're going to bring him back, but I, I kind of hope they do. <laughs> I hope they work him in in some way where he's a more developed Force user, a more developed Jedi. You know, Wookiees can live a long time. We know, yeah. like, what, 300, 400 years? They have a pretty long lifespan, so they could potentially work him into some, you know, if they do any sort of sequel content, or at least you know, sequel adjacent content. He could be there if he survives. Hopefully. Mm. <laughs> I don't want them to kill him, obviously. You th- you're thinking in the uh, mm. the Mandalorian Ahsoka timeline somewhere, maybe? We know that Luke is looking for Jedi. Yeah. And Gunji needs to have his training completed. He could have easily, he could easily live, you know, at three, three more decades or however long it takes for Luke to get to the point where he's a Jedi and still not develop his force abilities, just like Baby Yoda, <laughs> just like Grogu, um, <laughs> living a long time and still being pretty young in the force. So yeah, I hope that he shows up in some way. I hope we get something with him later, but it'd be cool, oh. really cool to see a live action, a live action Gunji wielding a lightsaber. Man, that'd be neat. Gunji and Grogu. This is like the buddy sh- the buddy show yes. that we want. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Oh man, um, <laughs> and Mando's just going. I can't even deal with one kid. How am I going to deal with two? <laughs> of course. Yeah. Oh man. So they so they fight the trend. Trandoshans and they rescue um the the adult warrior Wookiee who then takes them back to a village where they meet 
you know, just sort of the normal Wookiee life with, you know, elders and children and everybody. And, and they're dealing with just the bad situation. Um, and they realize that the Trandoshans are coming for that village, presumably in the same way that they came for the, the burnt down village that they first encountered. And I, and I loved that um, the Wookiees are extending hospitality, but then saying, you're being hunted, you'd better go on your way before you get caught. Kind of saying, we'll, we'll fight our own battles. And the Bad Batch says, no, you don't have to do this alone. We're with you. Um, which, again, is like, okay, we're getting a sense of, like, where where are the Bad Batch's, like, moral principles, moral foundations? And a lot of it has, seems to do with, with, like, standing with other people, standing with those who who... And it's not like the Wookiees are totally defenseless, but standing with those who are who are having trouble defending themselves. I've I've been holding out for a while that the batch becomes part of the path, which we saw in Kenobi. That was the thing that they revealed in Kenobi, where the mm-hmm. there's this whole group of people who are underground railroad shepherding Jedi's out of harm's way, giving them new lives. I really hope that the that the Bad Batch becomes part of that because just had exposure to what it takes to get a Jedi. Back to their home world. No, mm-hmm. it's real easy for them to start getting up into that. But I think it was interesting that the batch of all people said that because they're kind of doing it alone too. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just them against the world. Really, nobody else. I mean, uh, they saw Rex briefly. They and then he went away. Yeah, Sid's not really their friend, and becoming less so. <laughs> yeah, becoming less of a friend as she continues to put them in really bad situations and sort of gambles with them in some ways. So it's like, I, it was good to see the batch taking that and saying that, but they also got to take it to heart because, you know, they're doing the same thing. It's just a little bit more mobile going all over the place. <laughs> well, one, one thing I also found interesting, it's a little bit before that, but when they bring Go- Grogu, when they bring <laughs> Gunji back to, or to that village, or they're taken to the village, Hunter, actually, it reminds me of the Mandalorian because, you know, when he's talking to the leader and he says, we came because Gunji was in trouble, Jedi or not, he's still a child mm-hmm. and he needs his people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the Mandalorian was always taking, wanting to get Grogu to his people and stuff to help him because, and it, it's pretty interesting because, yeah, they were doing that partly, you know, to save him, but they're also feeling this obligation that he needs to be with his people. And I thought that, you know, that made me think of the Mandalorian story, especially for season one <laughs> and stuff. And, um, and well, throughout the whole thing. Um, but that was, you know, I thought that was an interesting little tie-in too. But it is, and it is neat that the thing I did like too was the whole part of winning... <laughs> willing to stand saying they didn't have to do that alone. And I like that part Ryan was saying because of just the whole, they are, <laughs> they're the loners, but they're here to help, you know? And so I think that's where you see their moral development as more of a, even though they're doing certain, some of the things that said once, and maybe that aren't the best, they're still, you know, they still have this stronger moral drive to do what is right when 
called upon. Yeah, and they oddly they seemed happier and more mm-hmm. like more relaxed. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, getting ready for battle with the Wookies than they did making a trade for you know forged uh, chain codes <laughs> with the with the smugglers and. It's like, yeah, you know, it's it's that, you know, if you if you focus on if you, you know, uh, seek first the kingdom of God, all the other things will be added to you. Mm-hmm. You know, there they are seeking to do this, this give aid to others. And that's where they find themselves kind of at home and, and at rest and, and rejuvenated. Well, and, and what's really good, too, I think, is. When, you know, they go to, you know, when the, when the Wookiees go to the tree for advice, you know, yeah. the, the tribe, they don't say, oh, this is crazy. They're like, well, we'll get our help wherever we can get help. <laughs> you know, they're open to, and they're not judgmental of the Wookiee tribe. They're, you know, they're saying, you know, they're just saying, okay, you know, we'll take what we can get, you know, and we'll do, you know, with everything that we can, it's not, we'll shun this thing because we don't believe in it or we have a better plan. They're willing to listen to everything and, yeah. you know, incorporate it into the battle plan that they're going to have to put together. Yeah. I think the trees have a plan might've been my favorite line. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, let's, let's talk about the, like the spirituality of the trees of the Wookiees for a bit. Be- before we started recording, John, you, you said that this was really something that stood out to you. Well, yeah, I mean, well, I mean, you see, well, in the last couple of years, I've been watching a lot, well, or reading, well, watching uh, the series. And then, of course, then uh, I just did a bunch of audio books on the Lord of the Rings. And, <laughs> you know, the, and then you have the trees playing roles in that, um, especially in Narnia, where they actually go to battle in one of the movie. I don't know if it was in the books as much as in the movie where. You know they'll they actually go on the offensive, and I forget which one it is. Maybe the second one where the Prince Caspian. Yeah, I think yeah, it were, and stuff. And then, but then also the way they kneel down, and you know, with the tree at um, where they kneel down with the tree to get the advice. I, <laughs> it's been a while since I watched the movie Avatar, but they do have that you know the Tree of Souls, and it plays such this a big is the, role. The James Cameron movie. Yeah, the James Cameron movie. Yeah. And that plays a big role in that. And and it's just kind of, you know, there they are kneeling and, you know, going. And actually, I like that part, too, though, as they're kneeling. It's like they're kind of praying, in a sense, with their hand on the <laughs> on the trees and stuff to get their, inf- you know, the input. And I guess coming humbly to it by going down to their knees as well and stuff. And it was just kind of, you know, it's silly. Or at first, when you hear the, yeah the the quote that you really like there with the trees you know it's like uh, it's just the the more i thought about it and and stuff uh, it really hit home that you know where you see it in other literature and stuff and and movies the impact and the importance of you know whether they listen to trees or they involve the trees in the plans and like especially in narnia too the trees are always sending messages (laughs) as Uh you talk and then you know so they're they're highly involved as well, and here they're giving you know the trees are giving messages to <laughs> the Wookies of what to do. So that that was pretty interesting. 
I saw another, I don't know, possible Tolkien reference. Um, the the water that oh. the Wookiees were drinking. And mm-hmm. like, I don't think I saw them eat anything during mm-hmm. the episode. So it was almost like this water was their sustenance. And mm-hmm. and that reminded me of the, the Ent drafts that mm-hmm. uh, Merry and Pippin drank oh, yeah. that that set their hair a curling and um in in lord of the rings and um yeah there were a lot of very kind of uh tolkien-esque or maybe inklings-esque i don't know if they were deliberate references but but mm-hmm. kind of an atmosphere or a vibe that i got from this episode um well and just, also with yeah. the lord of the rings one of the big uh issues in that book was how you know the ants are in and all those trees were destroyed you know so that was and then as you had in that scene before with that um trendoshan commander um saying okay we got to find that jedi raise the whole you know raise the trees to the ground or whatever you know it was like destroy all this stuff so it's like the empire is going into destroying it's kind of similar with what you see in the lord of the rings when you know um they're destroying all the the trees and as well and stuff to yeah and all the wildlife <laughs> yeah it's um just this this intense hostility between the 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 kind of the engine of seeking power mm-hmm. and and the you know the kind of keeping and tending the garden as mm-hmm. as it were um I also loved the the way just really consistently throughout the episode the bad guys were always using fire. Fire was their big weapon and and even when when like the the head Trandoshan goes chasing after Gunji um it's a flamethrower versus a lightsaber. Um and so it's like this this fire is the enemy of the trees and and like from the moment they land the bad batch is always we gotta we gotta make sure we contain the fire we gotta we gotta make sure that the fire doesn't get out of control in other words we gotta protect the trees yeah um which i don't know i i live in the pacific northwest where i live in oregon in oregon okay yeah so so you you know all about the wildfires detroit fire a few years ago oh yeah yeah so it almost it almost burned down my uh grandparents house yeah, yeah. I, I know that like there have been various theories about how to manage wildfires over the years and and um you know the the never let them burn has turned out to be a bad idea. Um mm-hmm. certainly letting them burn out of control is a bad idea. We're kind of figuring out how to do like better forest management to to really, you know, cultivate forests. But yeah, I, I was getting that kind of got to, got to cultivate the forest, got to protect the forest, and and so on. I like the detail that they um, that they stop the fire by digging. It's a very consistent yeah. thing with uh, with how it actually works. When you're having to contain a fire, you you know you dig out a fire line, and you 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 don't you don't go around with giant fire trucks with water on them because the water just runs out and it's not you're not doing anything anyways because the, there's you know acres and acres of forest around you um 
I guess the one thing I wish would have happened was after the batch was all done digging, I wish they would just collapsed on the ground, and started sleeping, because that's just about what firefighters during the <laughs> fire season do. You know, they dig for they dig for twelve hours, and then they just collapse. <laughs> they wake up and do it again. So that was I, I love the all the scenes where they were just fighting the fire with dirt. It's very it's very real. Yeah, they kind of like toward the very last scene where they kind of come out of the trees and Gunji sits down next to Omega and they both look kind of tired. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> fine. But you're right. It's nowhere near the exhaustion that, that <laughs> yeah. real life firefighters experience. I was wondering too, though, with the trees and the way the Wookiees communicate with them, you know, mm-hmm. you don't hear, <laughs> you know, your typical Wookiee thought is like Chewbacca and stuff or, um, but my question is, how much are they in touch with the force, you know, to be able to communicate with the trees and how much, you know, it's like, you know, that to me is <laughs> how much are and, they, the trees or they, the, well, Wookiees the, the in, Wookiees in the are in touch with the force. Cause I mean, now uh-huh. you have Gunji as a, a, or at least force sensitive, because if you're communicating with nature in that way, you would see, you would think that, you know, they have a strong connection to the force or something, you know, as well as, you know, and then your typical, you know, Gunji is your, t- padawan but i just was wondering because too when when the 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 leader of that tribe comes to gun she she kind of puts her head against his head and i'm like is she Mm. (laughs) you know it's like he's cradling it a little bit like a hug but then at the same time it's like is that a hug or is she you know trying to reach out a little bit and you know find out more about him through the force you know it was just and then later on of course with the trees and then you know, and, and getting the guidance from them. And and then, you know, it's just, that made me wonder, though, a little bit more about maybe Wookiees are more force sensitive than <laughs> we've given them credit for over the years. Maybe, maybe. Because I remember there's like a throwaway line in, uh, there's a throwaway line in the Clone Wars where they say, oh, wow, you people must be very proud of you. Your you know, Wookiees are right Wookiees sensitive to the force are quite rare. And this scene kind of challenged that where it's like, mm-hmm. eh, maybe, maybe the Jedi were just wrong. Mm-hmm. They were wrong about a lot of things. And maybe yeah. they were just weren't giving the Wookiees as much credit where credit was due. Cause mm-hmm. all of those Wookiees, they, they were participating in the ritual. Who knows if that means they were actually, you know, force sensitive and speaking to the trees, but they all seem to know exactly what to do and what they were supposed to do. And it really makes you think if, if there's real, if, if being force sensitive is really as rare as they mentioned randomly in the clone wars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. The Jedi are definitely looking for a very particular kind of force mm-hmm. sensitivity. Mm-hmm. You know, well, and it's not everybody speaks Wookiee. So yeah. it's like, so it's like maybe there's just a loss in translation too. It's like, oh, well, we can't understand them, even though we have the force and stuff. You know, it's like, you know, or, or then you have the typical, you know, or the, the, the brute force Wookiee that, you know, that gets angry and can rip the arms off of somebody mm-hmm. or out of their sockets or whatever. And it's, it's just kind of, you know, but, yeah, so then they see that and they don't see why well, this is really sensitive <laughs> and in touch with 
you know, the force kind of uh, people or creature. Although, and I think this is the first, at, at least in any Star Wars media I've seen, um, I think this is the first time we've seen a non-Wookiee try to speak, uh, I think it's called Shri Wook, the, yeah. the Wookiee's mm-hmm. language. Um, Wrecker, of all people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Anyone can do it. Wrecker is the guy. Uh, yeah, <laughs> he he was he was he loved his time with the Wookiees. That was something oh, that was, was great. Yeah, right at home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and he loved he loved that Wookiee water. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Any other thoughts about uh, this episode, or or maybe about the the series as a whole, where it's where it's kind of sending the Bad Batch as a series? Well, I was going to say that Trandoshan, who died at the end, took it. Or we assume he died when then he get pulled up by the spiders or whatever it was. And the oh yeah, what that was pretty go. harsh. <laughs> you, know, was, <laughs> you know, and that made that's why. And I think it was that scene that made me think more back to the Narnia, where you had the the trees, like you know, in the battle and ripping people, you know, pulling people up and stuff like that. It was like, of mm-hmm. course, this was spiders, I guess, but. You know, it was just <laughs> when I saw that, it was like, okay, we didn't see him die, but we have a pretty good idea of something bad's happening to him because probably, well, probably because he's the one telling him burn down the forest, and you know, mm-hmm. and um, and now, you know, he gets his comeuppance. I, I, yeah, very much a comeuppance. I, I liked that. You know, the trees have a plan. The plan that the trees had was to use the hostility of the Trandoshans and the empire against them mm-hmm. to, you know, let them provoke the, the, um, the Kinraths, the spider creatures and, mm-hmm. and, and face the consequences. Yeah. I had a question for both of you guys. Um, since we definitely had inklings of Omega possibly being force sensitive, do you guys think that Omega will end up having some sort of connection to the Force over the course of the season. I think that'll get revealed. Or do you think that that's just not going to happen? What do you think, John? I think there might be something to it because, you know, at the end of it, she was, you know, she went to the tree with Gunji, so we don't know, did she feel something there or not, you know, and stuff. Um, But then also the fact that as she's watching the Force in action, you know, with Gunji, and you saw her thinking, or you could tell she was being impacted by it. Maybe she is feeling something, and it's like, huh, maybe, I, you know, maybe, you know, she's feeling in touch with the Force in the past, but didn't know that. And, of course, the Bad Batch doesn't, they don't know how to explain it to her. And so maybe as she sees, you know, gets more, a little more exposure to it, you know, maybe over time, you know, yeah, she'll realize she does have that. That's that's a possibility. I think what I've noticed about Omega, like right from the beginning, is she's always watching everybody very closely, and she imitates what she admires. Um, she's always like I, I'm thinking of like some of the very early episodes of season one, where she is like imitating Hunter's movements, like mm-hmm. move for move. She's she's very imitative and and. It's it's more subtle as the seasons go on, but she's always kind of watching and imitating and learning from others. Mm-hmm. So maybe she's just 
seeing something interesting in Gunji and and imitating and learning from that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, it's it's entirely possible that it's it's the force that is mm-hmm. kind of leading her to mm-hmm. to learn in this way and to 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 become really adept at everything that she yeah that she she kind of imitates and learns. Mm-hmm. I don't want to turn this into a three-hour video essay. Yeah, I think that <laughs> I think that Omega is probably going to be ending up revealed as force sensitive. This was just one of the things for me. Um, but what, she's what also was your done first... some pretty crazy athletic things that you don't okay. really see, mm-hmm. like um, when she used those shell, those like crabs as a springboard. That was a big jump. And like, I get, uh-huh. I, I get that you know she was using him as a springboard. But like, if we, if the same way that you know in, in Rebels you saw Ezra do that giant jump, and you're like, oh yeah, he's he's got it. I, that's what that's what I thought of when that's what I thought of when I saw Omega do that jump. I was like, mm, she's probably she probably has something there. <laughs> but I I sure hope that she ends up. Um, I sure hope that they end up. Um, having that be a, a big mm-hmm. reveal at some point in the season. Who knows? It, it would certainly tie the Bad Batch into the the rest of the the mythos in a in a stronger way. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it would also make you wonder, I mean, obviously they want her <laughs> they want her back. You know, the Empire wants her back. And for some reason and is it just because she's the clone with those with the you know that what was it the bloodline or whatever that she has mm-hmm. or is there something more in that you know that um they need from her as well so and then um one thing too was interesting is uh i know hunter had the line at the end but when the the leader talked about it it's kind of setting up maybe more uh, the leader of the tribe she said when a young one leaves, the tree weeps, mm-hmm. but when they return, the tree sing. As the child has found his new home, perhaps one day we all will find a new path. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's more than just Omega. She's talking, you know, it's the Bad Batch and what path are they taking going forward and stuff. It's, um, is you know, it's going to be. So I think that's probably setting up the next <laughs> or that we're going to finally maybe stop or maybe there's going to be less or fewer um, standalone episodes and maybe more of that tie in together to build maybe. that path. I mean, the next episode is titled the clone conspiracy. So <laughs> I don't know. I hope we get another crosshair episode soon. That's something I want to see. But. Yeah. Whether, whether like a standalone crosshair or, or bringing him in contact with, with the batch again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, a lot to look forward to, a lot to look Mm -hmm. forward to. Um, But this is the time in our episode where we take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create Secrets of Star Wars. And this episode, we'd like to include Kathleen C., Daniel C., Donald M., Julie D., and Sandra M. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue The Secrets of Star Wars and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. 
Be sure to subscribe to the show in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or directly on the SQPN YouTube channel. To find previous episodes of Secrets of Star Wars and to send us feedback, please visit sqpn.com slash starwars. You can email us at starwars at sqpn.com or follow StarQuest on social media at facebook.com slash starquestmedia or on Twitter at sqpn. Or you could join our Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the next episode of The Bad Batch. As I said, it's called The Clone Conspiracy. Sounds pretty exciting. Till then, Ryan, thanks for joining us in The Secrets of Star Wars. Thank you. And John, thanks for uh, coming along. It's great to talk with you. Thank you. It was fun. Uh, Once again, I've been Robert King. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Star Wars on StarQuest. Here's another show on the StarQuest Network you're sure to enjoy. The Secrets of Technology. Find it wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash technology.